Welcome to State House Soundbites, WITF's Pennsylvania Politics Podcast. I'm Katie Meyer, State Capitol Bureau Chief for WITF, and you can hear my reports on public media stations throughout the state. Uh, this episode is being recorded on August, what's today's date? 17th, 18th? 18th. 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 August 18th. It's 11.30 a.m., and we're in Little Lamps Coffee Shop as usual. Um, no legislature. Uh, we haven't seen them in a while. But not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> but so here to talk about some other stuff with me are uh, Capital Wire's Chris Kamasak and uh, John Bayer, who is a columnist for lots of people. And um, going to talk about a couple of different things. But uh, well, first of all, John, I want to say uh, you being on is going to make people happy because the other day on Smart Talk, somebody requested that I have John Bayer on the podcast again. So Must have been my Aunt Mary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely was your Aunt Mary. Um, so thanks for coming on. Sure. Uh, I want to talk to you, though, about uh, you had a column on Charlottesville, the events in, uh, down there this week. You know, there, we've been seeing so many different responses to this and so many different ways that different politicians have responded to it. How does, how does that reflect back to the Pennsylvania legislature? Because I'm sure it does in some ways. Well, I tried to make that connection because uh, Charlottesville may or may not be a moment. Uh, for American politics, and I thought it was important to kind of put it in the context of states, making the case that w- what happened uh, in Virginia last weekend should cause every elected official and every legislative body to look at their public policy uh, as it applies to hate crimes. And in Pennsylvania, What I wrote about was the fact that we have a weak hate crimes law um, that we're the only northeastern state that does not provide hate crimes protection uh, based on uh, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, ancestry, or disability, mental or physical disability. We used to have a law like that way back in 2002. Way back. But the way that it was done, as is done so often in Pennsylvania, uh, violated the Constitution because the Constitution mandates that every piece of legislation that's enacted be on a single topic. And this law was put in as an amendment to an agriculture bill. And so, was this because they were trying to... When was the well, law put well, they into do, effect? In two, well, in, in 2002. Okay, so that was the first time we had it, and it was quickly gotten rid of? Well, it was quickly taken to court by an uh, evangelical group called Repent America, which took deep exception to protection for the LGBT community. Um, and because of the constitutional glitch in there, and again, this is something that is done routinely, it's just nobody ever calls them on it. When somebody calls them on it, uh, our courts uh, very often abide by the Constitution, and so they ruled that the law was passed unconstitutionally and they threw it out. That was in 2008. Um, So, because, you know, it takes a while to get through the whole court thing. And my argument was no one has ever fixed it since. I mean, apparently way back then, the legislature and the then governor believed that this was uh, a part of the law that should be, you know, uh, uh, the law of the land in Pennsylvania. But nobody since has ever fixed it, despite multiple efforts, uh, including one very visible one. There was a high-profile hate crime beating of a gay couple in Center City, Philadelphia in 2014, 
and there was no statutory protection to prosecute those offenders under hate crimes. Now, they were obviously were prosecuted for assault. But the argument being that, and when that happened, legislators, especially from Philadelphia, tried yet again uh, to get it enacted, and it sat as it has in every session since, untouched in legislative committees in the House and the Senate, where it sits today. And why, why can't it get anywhere? Like, what's, what's the block? The block seems to be, if you talk to people who sponsor the law and support the law, what they will tell you is there is a strong band of social conservatism in Pennsylvania, which we all know. And the Republican leadership represents many of those areas where it is strongest. And so, as Senator Farnese, one of the sponsors from from Philadelphia uh, of the Senate bill, said, there are just too many people that don't have, that are afraid of political payback if they become visible and active on an issue that benefits the LGBT community. Interesting. And, and so the bill hasn't, hasn't moved. And so now with this, I would assume this would have to go through the like state government committees? Actually, it's in judiciary. Judiciary. In, in both, because it amends the crime statute. Okay. Interesting. So, so this is just, I think you think it's down to the leadership not wanting to pursue this? Or the chairman of those committees. Now, when I pressed... Um, uh, both chambers, spokesmen for both chambers, they did what they usually do, which is say, well, it's on a list of bills that we're going to look at, or, yeah, we're willing to take a look, uh, which, if you had asked at any point in any session during the time that it has sat there, you would have gotten the same answer. Yeah. So we'll see if this, if Charlottesville is enough to move this legislature to do what they clearly thought was the right thing to do at one time. Mm-hmm. And now you mentioned, because I do want to get into this, because I think there's a component of this uh, Charlottesville stuff, this discussion of you know, hate, hate crimes, yeah. white supremacy, that takes on a very partisan tinge. And I think a lot of Republicans would say that's not necessarily fair. But, you know, you mentioned social conservatism. There is, I think, a conservative wing that... I don't know. Like, would you say that there's a connection between, like, not wanting to pass these laws and conservatives? I mean, is that something that's... Well, it's not, it's not so much the ideology as the as the fear of political retribution, yeah. that why should we be spending our time on a minority group like this that already is protected under certain statutes sure. but does not have the protection that every other northeastern state has. I mean, Pennsylvania is not known as a progressive state in any area. Mm-hmm. This is yet another one where that's the case. Yeah. Um, Crystal, actually, I'll ask you. You're a conservative guy. Right. Um, you're our resident you know, conservative today. But, I mean, would you agree? Do, would you agree with, like, the... Is this a partisan issue? It feels like it shouldn't be, but it feels... I mean... Well, I think, I think when it all comes down to it, yeah, I think conservative-minded people are going to be less inclined to extend additional protections to someone who already has protections under the law. Just to, um, uh, to avoid a, a excessive what, legislation on the books? Well, I'm not going to put words in other sure, people's sure. mouths, but, I mean, it's it just seems like you're treating one set of people differently than another set of people, which sort of goes against the whole premise of the Constitution in the first place. So if everybody's treated equally, then the laws of the land that currently exist should be good enough. 
And, John, you raised a finger there. I raised a finger because one of the arguments against it is that, look, you can't stop bigotry with laws on the books that won't go away. And I understand that. Everybody understands that. But laws on the books do, at a minimum, say what it is that we believe as a society. And I think it's important, particularly at times when you have an event like Charlottesville, uh, that, that we say what we believe as a society, even if it doesn't end anything or change anything. Words are important, actions are important, laws are important. And so I would argue that, first of all, this law should have been done correctly to begin with, and because it wasn't, it ought to be fixed. Mm-hmm. Chris Ruggs. Um, We're going to agree to disagree. Sure, so. sure. And I think that kind of, just to broaden this again back out to the whole Charlottesville conversation, because that's what's dominating uh, the news cycle right now. Um, when I, I know I've talked to conservatives and to Democrats in our state about, you know, what the proper response is to this. Democrats have largely said, and I don't want to make this fully a partisan issue because it's right. not, but... On average, I've heard Democrats say, you know, this needs to be condemned specifically and without equivocation. And Republicans saying, like, let's not get too much into semantics on it. You know, we can condemn it in whatever terms we find are most effective. I mean, like... I think it's easy to find lots of people that espouse hate. And if you want to condemn every single one of them by name, be my guest. I think it's just as easy to say... All hate is bad, and anybody who espouses it, anybody who seeks to do violence on any other person, for whatever reason, should not be condoned or should not be allowed. Mm -hmm. Now, speaking is different than committing actual physical violence on people, and I think that's where you're going to start people break down well, on how to handle I also handle think, this. like, when we're talking about, again, the, specifically the yeah. events in Charlottesville, yeah. one side was white supremacists and Nazis, and as the president said, maybe good people in there, but they were also uh, alongside white supremacists uh, yeah, and Yeah, you Nazis. probably don't want to be in that group. Yeah. And, right, and, uh, you know, there have been those who have said, okay, well, their violence is bad on both sides. Our yeah. president said that, you know. Is it appropriate to draw a blanket judgment over anyone who commits violence when one side is white supremacist and one side is anti-fascists? Or, you know, again, people who are counter-protesting white supremacists. If our laws are set up to protect people from violence, then there is no difference in the eyes of the law. Sure, but, I mean, that kind of just skirts around, like, maybe an ethical problem. There is no... Yeah, I guess so. I, I mean, again, you can call everything that happened in Charlottesville was terrible. Sure. The death of someone was unconscionable, and the person who committed it, if it was definitely driven by everything that we think it was driven by, there is no way to condone it at all. Uh, but if someone from another group were to commit a similar act of violence and someone should be injured significantly or die, death, I mean, it's the same in the eyes of the law. You killed somebody. That is not acceptable. And so we can, you know, point out that it was white supremacists, white nationalists, what have you, that brought this on. But if anyone... It, Use without sin, cast the first stone. <laughs> and if you're going to all start throwing stones, then 
you're all equally responsible. John, do you have any? Well, I mean, the problem that, that has become now, that, that reaction to the event has almost superseded the event. Yeah. And, and it has yeah. enveloped the political And that's why I think landscape. it is important to talk about, like, why we're so obsessed with the semantics of this event, you know, like how we respond to it, the words. So. Right. So now we're talking about statues, and now we're talking about um, an, a, a, an official move in the U.S. House to censure the president. Um, we're talking about people lining up. Mitt Romney today put out on Facebook a very, very strong statement saying that the president has allowed the hate groups to rejoice because they read his words as almost an affirmation and, and not a direct condemnation. So we're, I think, going to be distracted by this but for a long time. It appears that this still has some legs and still has some issues, and there are further rallies scheduled, and we'll see how they play out, hopefully nonviolently. You um, said we're going to be distracted by this. Do you think it's a distraction? Do you it think is, it's worth talking about still? It, oh, it's absolutely worth talking about. But, but it, it also is, look, anytime anything like this happens, there's a built-in excuse not to do the things that the country needs to be done for everybody. Um, you, our political system seems incapable of dealing with one, more than one thing at one time. <laughs> yeah. And so now everybody is piling on this. Shiny object. Right. Look, yeah. look over here. Not to demean what took place, but that no. seems to be uh, yeah. the short attention span. Yeah. That, Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a fair assessment. All right. Well, we'll continue watching this. Um, uh, do you see it having any impact on like our lawmakers on the state level? I mean, I, mean, I feel like they haven't felt as compelled to produce statements to stay where they stand on this necessarily. Well, I think that's true. Um, I mean, the Legislative Black Caucus, at least the Philadelphia delegation, put out a, fair, a fairly strong statement uh, that every member, I believe every member, signed on to. Um, but, we'll, but we'll see what, in terms of like the hate crimes bill or other legislation, is put forward as a result. Uh, I know Senator Art Haywood from Philadelphia is looking at uh, ways to strengthen uh, laws regarding domestic violence. Um, and, and I don't mean like household violence, I mean domestic terrorism, right. um, which the Charlottesville death has been categorized correctly as. So we'll see what Pennsylvania, what the Pennsylvania legislature wants to do while it can't do its budget. All right. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of that, um, uh, now that we've had an interesting discussion about a uh, hot button issue, we're going to talk about um, the Treasury. <laughs> Prepare to go to sleep. <laughs> I, I would prefer you didn't go to sleep because I think this is a very important issue that's important to understand if you want to get why our current budget situation is a problem. Because what we've had for the last month now is a budget that has been passed, spending is happening, money's coming in, so the legislature does say correctly, but we're $2 billion, over $2 billion short of being balanced. And one of the reasons why that's an issue is that, uh, well, we don't have money to cover immediate expenses. Now, this happens every year. It happened last year at the beginning, and it's happened earlier and earlier in recent years. But um, what happens when the legislature doesn't have money to cover immediate expenses is it generally takes out what's basically a loan from the Treasury. It's a line of credit. And the Treasury can extend a a lump sum of money that the legislature can pull from as needed, and that keeps its general fund from dipping under zero. And it's not uncommon. It happened last year. It happened early last year. But um, According to the Treasury, it's happened like, oh, 
more than a dozen times. More last. than a dozen times. So frequently, but it's not like something that's happened every year since the dawn of time. It's a relatively no, recent. I think event. it's like 14 out of the last 25 years. Yeah. So anyway, um, this year uh, the Treasury did extend a small $750 million. Small. Uh, just a little bit of money. Um, a credit lump sum really for like just the last two weeks, and they're supposed to pay it back next week. Yeah, in fact, uh, it was given on Wednesday, whatever the 15th oh, was, gosh, Tuesday. Yeah, so that was more Tuesday. recent. Yeah, so uh, they, they, they made an announcement about it a week or two in advance, and then the actual loan was uh, was dis- dispersed, I guess, yeah. uh, on Tuesday and used entirely. Yeah, they blew on, through that real quick. On um, Tuesday, and it will be repaid on the 23rd. Right, so that is well and good, a very short-term loan. However, um, by, you know, another week the fund's going to hit like zero again it's supposed to get before the end of august i think the 29th is when it's supposed to happen and so by the middle of next month middle of september they're projecting and this is a little bit inaccurate sometimes because you can never predict total accuracy but they're projecting 1.6 billion dollars below zero so negative Negative. balance by the middle of september if no additional action is taken so what that means is that the general fund which is the fund from which we pay our bills has very little money in it right we're relying on this credit this happened last year but this year the treasurer treasurer dotorcella who's a democrat um but his you know position is technically nonpartisan. um he's saying that he's very reluctant he's seriously considering not offering an additional loan because the budget is not balanced yet right and so he's i mean some people have said that this is uh a little bit too dramatic of a response. Chris is one of those people. Um, (laughs) Others have said that this is a perfectly appropriate response because it's totally irresponsible to be giving massive loans to a legislature that has not balanced a budget and, for all we know, may not balance it in the near future. So um, I guess we're just going to discuss that. um, For me, that... That's not much different than what's happened the last, oh, five to ten years. <laughs> right. Uh, so, John, did you have something? Well, yeah, and you know, one thing Chris ought to do, um, because it's confusing, I think, to an average person, is how can we say the state doesn't have any money, we're out of money, and then borrow $750 million from the Treasury? If the state doesn't have money, why does the Treasury have money? Right. Because there's the – That's state has, The point. state has a lot of pots of money. <laughs> right, right. And the Treasury sits on uh, – the money that we're pulling from, uh, they have money to invest on behalf of yeah, taxpayers. This is an investment fund, so yes. that's where they yes. keep the money coming from. Right, and, and technically this is a pseudo-investment on their part because we are paying a nominal amount of interest on right. it. Right, yeah. Uh, but well, where did that investment come, money come from? That, uh, that's money that just has been here for a long time. <laughs> well, this is okay. So. I, I, did, I did ask the same question of Treasury earlier this week. I yeah. said, and they said, well, the money ebbs and flows, and it's never zero. Um, but as far as this is concerned, this this is an investment fund that's existed for a long, a long, 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 long time. And we should say, so the Treasury has lots of different funds, lots of different investment funds. Yes. This one is the short-term investment fund, and um, I think that's the right name, Well, right? at least... They're they're giving the state a short term. Uh, well, yeah. what, are, what do they what do they do with that money in the absence of a budget crisis? They invest it. Why don't they give it back to taxpayers? Uh, 
Well, clearly it's useful to have that money. <laughs> clearly they need it for these types of things. Well, and so this is where we get into um, some of the arguments that like, I think are a little bit more complicated. Because yeah. the treasurer, in his statement, and when I talked to him yesterday, said, you know, this is not a rainy day fund. This yeah. is not a fund that's supposed to just, you know, bolster the budget whenever lawmakers run out of money. Um, so anyway, Chris, you were saying yeah, that I, I, there's different ways to look at this. Yeah, and I think his definition hinges on the fact that there's no completed budget this year as opposed to last year there was a completed budget. Because, Technically completed budget. Well, yes. On, on paper, it was a balanced, finished budget. Um, when you look at what took place last year with that balanced, finished budget, it is not that dissimilar to what is occurring this year. Um, we needed a loan last year in early to mid-September. It wasn't, they didn't use $750 million right away. Uh, they used $400 million right away. But by mid-September, they needed another one point two. So by the end of September, they were, they had already borrowed $1.6 billion to address a situation that would have otherwise left us in negative territory uh-huh. by about the same amount that they're saying we're going to be in negative tor- territory this year without additional revenues. So uh, if he wants to say it's unprecedented because we don't have a budget this year and we had a budget last year, okay. But, as you said, technically last year's budget was finished and balanced, but it was built on a lot of faulty assumptions and rosy assumptions that I think most people knew once the ink was dry on the the legislation. Yeah. So, but your, your premise on of, this, your premise on this, does assume that like the treasurer would have known immediately that the budget was not balanced last year, and you're basically saying, okay, if it's an emergency this year, no money should have been loaned last year either. No, I'm just, I'm saying that if we can do it for a budget that was fairly obviously unbalanced uh-huh. last year, then there's not a real huge difference between doing it for last year and then doing it this year with an obviously unbalanced budget. Yeah. So I then mean, it's I guess, not done. It's, it's, it's unbalanced. Right. So then I guess the question becomes like, I mean, was it a good idea to do it last year? Is it a good idea to do it again? Because what, I mean, what this basically a, is. It's not a great idea to do it ever. Right. But as you said, we don't get all of our money up front right. as a state. And we have bills to pay every month. And a lot of our bills come earlier in the year than they do later in the year. Just so happens that a lot of our revenues come later in the year than earlier in the year. Yeah, so this is basically like an IOU where we can pay it back. It's a cash flow issue. And so the the concern is that, as you mentioned, it's happening earlier and earlier. Um, The amount, uh, I mean, we're talking about a $32 billion budget. So having to borrow two billion dollars three billion dollars that's a significant amount but it's still a percentage of a smaller percentage of the amount uh-huh. of money that we're talking about here and in years past we've had to borrow one to two billion dollars and it was a much smaller budget i think where the treasurer is concerned is the amount of money that's available in the treasury funds that they pull this money from it's not getting any larger Right. By he has and less options now that the state's in a difficult fiscal condition. Right. Well, it's just if they can, if they have say, I mean, I, I looked at their website. If they have say six to seven billion dollars available, 
every year this number has gone up. And so it was $1.5 billion. Okay, no sweat. Well, now it's $2 billion. And it's $2.5 billion. Now they're saying it could be as much as $3 billion this year. That they have to lend. That they have to take out of that fund. And you're starting to run into a situation, as, as the treasury, treasurer and the treasury has said. We're talking about 50%. 40, 50% of this amount of money, and that is concerning. Right. So, I mean, it sounds like your quibble is not that this is not a problem, but that maybe they're overstating the problem? That or? it's just simply become a more talked-about problem this year as opposed to in years past. Yeah, and I think that's fair, but I don't think that also changes the fact that no. they're in trouble. No, it doesn't. And that's in, in the column that I wrote, I started out by saying, this is a bad thing that we right. are borrowing this much money. Okay. So I, I'm, just, I'm just wondering why this year and not last year. Why do you think this year and not last year? I think it's pretty obvious that there's, a, there's one particular segment of the government that isn't interested in doing what everyone else in the government is interested in doing. Which is? The House Republicans are not interested in passing the revenue package that was basically approved by the Senate, House Democrats, and the governor. Right. They don't want to raise any taxes. They don't want to do what the Senate is doing, which is borrowing roughly $1.3 billion and raising roughly five, six hundred. Yes. Million. And so basically, I mean, and this... I don't. This is not a secret. Like I talked yeah. to Eugene De Pasquale, the Auditor General, yeah. who has also sort of been involved in this conversation, sure. um, and he said this is this is a way of like by threatening. It is really a threat yeah. not to give the state any more money if it doesn't pass a budget. They're giving them another incentive, a deadline to get the thing done. Right. Because really, what they've done now is taken away all the deadlines that they once had. And that's yes. The state doesn't like services can go on. Employees still get paid. Right. The bills. I mean, they're total collecting money because of spending plans in law. So, so there's really no uh, reason to get this done other than perhaps the treasury not giving them any more money. Right. So, I mean, this could be an effective way of getting a budget done. It's a way potentially of doing it, yes. yes. So, yeah, John. <laughs> well, and the interesting thing politically is you get to the point where, you know, the governor has basically been absent from bashing the Republican House for not doing anything. He only says something if he's asked about it. He hasn't, you know, I've referred to him in recent columns uh, as uh, pushing his agenda with all the ferocity of little Bo Peep um, <laughs> or, or acting like a sheep in wolf's clothing. But, I mean, or, going but back to so, here, so here you have two Democratic statewide elected officials. You just mentioned Jean D. Pasquale, the Auditor General, Joe Torsella, the Treasurer, who every time they bring this issue up, coincidentally point to the House Republicans and say, this is why they need to act. So it's like that arm of the Democratic Party is giving cover to the governor politically yeah. because they keep hammering away at the House Republicans while the governor skates free and, and, and above. Yes, and the House Republicans have repeatedly criticized Governor Wolf for being sort of absentee with these budget negotiations. They've said he should be leading negotiations. He should be, I mean, really getting his hands dirty on this. But you go back to the impasse of 2015, we saw Wolf attempting to get his hands dirty. And right, that didn't work out so not well. Not effective, <laughs> right. and his approval ratings plummeted, and now he wants to get reelected. Right. So that is, I mean, this is all 
it's all interconnected. You it can, it is. And, and look, politically. It's a spider web. You, you touch yeah. one part and it, everybody feels yeah. it somewhere else. Yeah. Yep. And poli- so. politically, the governor is doing the right thing. Yeah, his approval his ratings are better re- when his absolutely. hands aren't dirty. For his own re-election, it's the right thing to do. Yep. For governance, not so much. Right. Um, and so to get back to what the treasurer yep. is essentially threatening to do, not covering the state's butt, essentially, when it runs out of money again. Right. Um, because this is going to be, like, real decisions are probably going to have to be made sometime in the middle of next month if they want to continue being a state. So, um, <laughs> I don't know, how was well, so it? Yeah, because we, we, we've got that, and then there's also that the, the credit rating agencies are floating they're around They're all there. hovering, watching they're, what, yeah. They're waiting, because they, they pretty much gave Pennsylvania a 90-day window to fix this, you know, finish the budget. Back when, just well, it's actually before the spending was enacted. Yeah. Um, so that 90-day window is rapidly coming to a close as well. So you're going to start hearing more and more about well, the credit rating agencies are going to make borrowing, more yeah. mo- you know, borrowing money for Pennsylvania more more difficult too. But I did get a great quote off the record, well, well on background from a House Republican who said, "You have to understand, there are many members in the House Republican caucus who never want to borrow anything ever, so they don't care about credit ratings." Right. They no, don't no, want well, to there is so there's a section. So this gets into what the options are going forward because if the treasurer doesn't loan any more money and the budget does not get passed or finished, rather, um, then we can either attempt to get an outside loan from someone else. That's a very rare thing to do, and God knows if we can even get it because, again, that's sort of a shaky investment for any outside lender to make. Yeah, I I think the more likely thing that would happen is we go back to what used to be the problem when you didn't get a budget done. Things don't get paid. Right, so that's the option where we freeze spending. Yes. And um, that is something that obviously the governor does not want to do. Um, that's something that a significant portion of House Republicans would be fine with doing, I think. I'm fine with it, too. Chris is fine <laughs> with it, for the record. Um, so that's, I mean, and I've, you know, had, I think, probably talked to similar people that you have in saying, like, there's a really strong portion of those House Republicans who, that's that's their ideal situation, where we start freezing spending. Right. And, um, you know, they didn't want this, they voted for a $32 billion budget. Which, but they don't. They, again, they lose, they lose their moral high ground yeah. when, well, at least the ones that voted for it, which includes the House Speaker. That includes most of them. Yeah. But, yeah, it, when you say, well, you should just freeze funding and we shouldn't be spending this much, and they just voted for a $32 billion yeah. budget. And that's where the governor, I think, has had a very strong yeah. and defensible position. Well, you voted for it, you got to fund yeah. it. Although he didn't do anything about the $1 billion shortfall that occurred last session, and which he allowed to roll over. So they all, I mean, it's a pox on all their houses. They, <laughs> no one has any high ground here. Right. Um, so with that, I don't know, is there anything else that should be brought into this discussion? I think we've pretty much covered the bases here. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, we wanted to start talking about budget stuff, which we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, we don't know what's going to happen with the budget. We haven't heard anything from House Republicans about when they're coming back or how they're doing. Certainly not these- next week. No, not next week. Probably not the week after. We'll I'll watch. They'll, they'll make me a liar. But <laughs> no. not Don't make any concrete predictions. Um, all right. Well, on that note, I think that about does it. Uh, guys, thank you for coming in. John's got his sunglasses on. He's ready to leave. Thank you for having us. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. All right. We'll be back next week. <laughs>